what to do when your country bans alcohol sales during the height of COVID and you own a distillery? Create a non-alcoholic spirit and then find the perfect partner to help you introduce it to the world. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. Danielle Showman used her distilling know-how to produce Mahala Botanical. Then she sent it to Paul Scanlon to see what he thought. After years working for a drinks company, he was ready to bring one of his own to market. It was Kismet, and they have not looked back. I was lucky enough to meet them both at the launch of Mahala in London a few weeks ago, and I'm delighted to have them here on Lush Life to let them tell you their story. Well, I'm really excited to have you guys on the show. I'm excited to explore Mahala. I was so uh, thrilled to be a part of the launch when you came to London, and I want to hear everything about it. So um, why don't we start with Danielle? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into making Mahala? Hi, Susan. Uh, yes. So actually, I know I always start the story off with a shot of tequila. A non-alcoholic spirit started with a shot of tequila. But it was really when I was living in Canada and I went to Mexico and I had shots of tequila. And I just, that started the whole journey for me. So I started thinking about how do you actually create a product? So how do you create an amazing liquid? So a spirit, obviously, at that stage. And so I saw the plant, the agave plant, and I thought, how? what do you do with this plant to get to a liquid stage? And then I came back to South Africa and I was working and I just couldn't get it out of my mind. So eventually... I just I went to a farm and I got some raw product and I started the process and that's actually where everything started for me. So where I learned about the plant and how to harvest it and how to look at the land and from winemakers, I learned about uh, fermentation and then I met some distillers and they told me about distillation and so the whole process. It's really always been very, very fascinating, the process of how to get from a raw material to a finished product. And that's how Donna Distillery started. So we do quite a few spirits in the distillery, but yeah, Mahala Botanicals, obviously our non-alcoholic spirit that we make there. And I think it also, it was just a lot of it started because of the love of just experimenting with different products and, and just experimenting with different botanicals and how to put it together to get to a beautiful end product. So yeah, that's, that's basically my story. <laughs> All right. That was very, very quick. We're going to have to unpack some of that. And we will get to you, Paul, in a sec. We're not going to unpack for a long time. So you said that you were in Mexico. Were you on holiday? What were you studying? You know, were you thinking of doing something else in life and then decided to do this? Yeah. So I actually used to be a business analyst. It wasn't food and beverage. And so, but the Mexico stint, that was, I went to Vancouver just after studying and I worked there for about a year in a bank and we went to Mexico for holiday. And that's where I had this shot of tequila that changed my life. Now, were you a spirit drinker before that? Yes. So I think we've, we've all, at university, you kind of drink entry-level drinks, I kind of want to say. So that's where I, like, I played around. I started drinking different things. But I'm actually a wine drinker. Being from South Africa and Cape Town, I think we've got fantastic wine. So if I go out and I do drink something, I'll have a glass of wine. Otherwise, a lot of non-alk cocktails, yeah. So that one tequila shot. Now, Paul, did you have that epiphany with one tequila shot and you had to be in the spirit industry? Yeah, with me, slightly different start, uh, but I was with Jemison Irish Whiskey. That's where I started my career. So I was a young Irish uh, guy. I used to look after the US market for Jemison. So I spent probably about two years there over a five-year period, kind of promoting the brand, sales and marketing. And I acquired a real passion for Irish whiskey. I was from Ireland. 
And then I subsequently ended up working for about 20 years for this big multinational drinks company that owned Jemison, among many other brands, you know, Absolute Vodka, Mum Champagne, Malibu, Kahlua, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where I started my career in the kind of the greater, the bigger wines and spirits industry. And my move into non-alcoholic probably came after working for 20 years for a drinks company and feeling when I left them in kind of December, 2019, early 2020, that I needed a break, a break from all of these whiskeys and cognacs and gins and marvelous kind of, at the time they were wonderful drinks, but I just felt I needed something. So I did a dry January for the first time in, in January, 2020, and then subsequently in 2021. And there was so little choice available for someone who wanted a spirit, but didn't want the alcoholic bit. So there were a lot of beers, non-alcoholic beers that were good quality, but very, very few spirit brands that could offer the similar taste to a gin and tonic or to a vodka tonic or to a whiskey and soda, for example, or, or whiskey and ginger ale. So I started thinking to myself, and uh, that's where really the Mahala project started because I came across Danielle purely out of coincidence. We were working on a separate project, looking at potentially doing a rum. And then she said, oh, I've got this great non-alcoholic spirit that I've produced, but I don't have a name or packaging or uh, can I send you samples to London from South Africa? And I said, yeah, because I'm just looking at that category because personally, I just couldn't find anything really tasty or something that was really tasted, looked and felt like a really refreshing adult drink. And she sent me samples and lo and behold, that's how Mahala kicked off probably Jan, February of last year. You're going way too fast. So we got to go back a little. And um, I want to hear, you're from Ireland, yes, obviously. Absolutely. Now, were you always drinking Jameson? Was there always a bottle in the house? Was that why you thought, oh, the spirit industry is for me? No, but a good, good question. No, actually, my parents are both Irish, but uh, I was born in Paris and they married in Paris. So I've got a very Francophone, European kind of background. I lived in Switzerland for about 10 years and in Italy for three years and Portugal for a year. And then subsequently, uh, South Africa for five years. So I've traveled around a lot. I just joined this company at the time because they were looking for someone with a sales and marketing background. And the company had just been bought by a French company. And I spoke French, having been born in Paris and lived in Geneva and Switzerland for about 10 years. So coincidentally, I had sales and marketing. They were looking for somebody with French and uh, I did the interview process. So it was more coincidental that I fell into the Irish whiskey world, but I subsequently loved it and was very much engaged by it and um, worked there for many years um, until I eventually found my way into my next phase of my life, which is the non-alcoholic world. Well, it, you know, it's interesting that you left during lockdown. I mean, pretty much it was, it was almost, well, what you said, 2019, yes, right? Just, Sorry, it was a little yeah, bit before but, that. Uh, you know, only three, four months before lockdown. And in actual fact, Mahala uh, was born in lockdown because in South Africa, Danielle was experimenting with non-alcoholic because there was a ban on alcohol for close to four or five months in South Africa, if I'm not mistaken. So you were not allowed to exactly. sell alcohol. So that's how Danielle, I'm not going to speak for Danielle, but that's how she started experimenting because she couldn't sell her gins and her vodkas and whatever. And she ended up making this wonderful uh, product. Okay. Back to how you both met and where were you living, Paul, at that time? I was already back in London. Had you both met before? Where did you come upon no. each other? No, we never met face to face until nine months down the line working on Mahala, the project, because South Africa went on the red list uh, for most of 2020. So you couldn't fly there from the UK. And in actual fact, most of 2021, apologies. So we started the project and we actually signed our shareholder agreements and all our 
partnership papers and everything, having never physically met each other, which is quite amazing until November 2021. I guess I mean, how did you both come upon each other? Yeah, did you know about each other? No, actually, no, we were working on, so we were working on another project and we were both consulting on the project. And at that stage, so as Paul mentioned, in lockdown in South Africa, um, there was, we couldn't sell any alcohol and obviously I still had overheads in the distillery and we had to make a plan. And so, you know, started experimenting. I was actually experimenting with a non-out spirit for quite some time before that. But then, I, but obviously because of lockdown, I had time to actually see it through. And then I was consulting on a project and Paul was consulting on the project. And I think I approached Paul afterwards or I sent him an email afterwards because I could see from the way that Paul was emailing and he had a lot of knowledge. And then I think I sent him an email after the project concluded. And I said, listen, Paul, I've got this liquid. And at that stage, I bottled it, just a couple of couple of bottles. It was in a clear bottle with a label, like a handwritten label. And we sent it, I sent it in to an international spirit competition and, and we won the trophy. And I, we, there was no label. No, I don't even know if we had a name at that stage. And I sent it and, and yeah, so, so Paul and I, we just met online um, or through email and we chatted and then Paul was still working on another project. And I think then Paul said, oh, I'm finishing a project, but in the meantime, you can send me, send me some samples and yeah, let's see. Yes. And the rest is history, right? Meeting online. A lot of, a lot of relationships develop. Exactly. That's how baby, baby Mahala was born online. So when you received the bottles of this clear spirit, uh, what were your first thoughts, Paul? Well, I, I, I had no real, I had no preconceived ideas, <clears throat> put it this way, because all my experiences to date with non-alcoholic products had not been great during my dry January. And this was in, uh, now this was probably February, 2020. I've lost track of time, 2021. So yeah, just, just over a year ago, 14, 2021. Yeah. So about 14, 15 months ago. But the minute I opened the bottle, I got this amazing fragrance of cloves and cardamom and spices and so on. I thought, oh my God, this is amazing. And then I poured myself, I did a little bit of nosing and I think you sent me two, three bottles. And then I shared it with family, with friends and with quite a few people from the, the drinks industry that I used to work with and said, listen, have a try of this. It's non-alcoholic, but what do you think? And everyone was blown away by how much complexity the liquid had. Uh, there was no name, there was no packaging, as as uh, Danielle said, it was just a handwritten label. And um, so I thought straight away, wow, we're onto something here. And, you know, I think the key thing, if if I hadn't been 100% comfortable with the liquid itself, then it would never have come off the ground because you know that you've got to start with a fantastic product in any industry, whether you be in beer or wine or spirits or gin or whiskey, the integrity and the quality of the product has got to be 100%, you know, and up there. So we knew we had a very good thing to start with and the rest was just, the rest was very challenging in terms of, but just really label designs. I think the challenge we had was the, even though we're only an hour apart, South Africa, the complexity of sending samples back and forth. We spent thousands and thousands of pounds and euros on samples over the next nine months because labels, corks, bottles, you know, so this to go out, but it goes to show that, you know. Um, when you, when you're in a pandemic, <clears throat> you've got to adapt. You've got to, I mean, we'd hardly ever use zoom before myself and Daniel, we still joke about our lack of knowledge of zoom and we can never, we never know how to share the screen or can you see me? Can you hear me? Whatever. So, so it was literally like, um, when I arrived at that November, it was like the joy of meeting Danielle for the first time. It was like, you know, hugging my younger sister and somebody that I hadn't seen in about 10 years. And, you know, so that was the first time literally we met 
in Cape Town when I went out there in November 2021. Well, Danielle, why don't you tell us a little bit about the process of creating the spirit and what your idea was as and also what what were you making at the, your distillery before and how that led into how you made Mahala? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I want to say it was almost a year of experimenting because initially just of how do you make a non-alcoholic spirit? There's no, there's no guideline there at that point when I was making it, that really was, I, I mean, I, I think even today, if you Google how to distill a non-alcoholic spirit, it's not really something that you don't have a guideline. I knew I wanted to make a non-alcoholic spirit because I was just doing, so at that stage I was doing spirits. So rum, gin, vodka. And it's, I mean, that's quite straight, well, not straightforward, but I mean, you know how to make, so a rum you make from cane or molasses, a vodka you can make from, well, if you want potatoes or sugar or whatever. So you know the process and you kind of also know what you're going to, what the end product is going to be like, especially with a gin. So if you add certain botanicals to a gin, you know how it's going to end up or what it's going to come out at the other side of the still when you do your distillation. And because some of the botanicals dissolve better in water, some better in alcohol, some, so you just know the ratio. So with with the spirit, it's it's easier. But with non-alc, I think at that point, I really just saw, so I love doing, I mean, I love doing research. I lo- love just finding out what's happening in the industry, what's happening, you know, what's a new product that's coming out, even in, in restaurants. It's just, it's just part of, I think people in the industry, it's because they're passionate about it. People don't really go into the industry and you think when you're young, they're like, oh, this is, I'm going to make millions. I'm going to, that's why I'm going to be a distiller. You do it because you have a calling and you really honestly enjoy making something. I think that was just part of it for me. It was just experimenting like, okay, this non-alc, how do I actually make it? So I didn't have an end product in mind really when I started. I just thought, okay, cool. You know, how do, how do you make this? So do you start off with a spirit? Don't you start off with a spirit? Do you start off with water? What's the process here? And I think that was what really, what really um, captured me. So our stills are very, very special and they were built and engineered in South Africa. And they have names, so it's Eve and Delilah. So first Eve, so she's our batch still. And then the Delilah, she, she was the second one. And then we also have a little test still called Adam. And that's where I do my experiments. And it was really weeks of experimenting, starting off with spirits, putting in botanicals, distilling it off, like not, not starting with alcohol, starting with different base spirits. Maybe, you know, it was really just experimenting with different things. And I did a really a lot of different experiments and then also with the botanicals. So that was a big part of it. So as I mentioned, you kind of know what ratios to use when you're using alcohol. But when you're using or when you're distilling off the alcohol, alcohol has a lot of flavor in it. So the process of Mahala, sorry, I feel like I'm jumping around a little bit, but the process of Mahala, so how it starts off, and this is not all non-alcoholic spirits, this is Mahala. So, I mean, it can be done in, in different ways, but Mahala starts off with alcohol. So we make our own alcohol in-house as well. And that's the first distillation. So we actually do a fermentation and a distillation so that from the distillation, we get our base alcohol. And that base alcohol, we infuse with botanicals. And so the botanicals are some of them that I harvest myself and some of them are are botanicals that my mom used to use in cooking. Some of them you really can pick if you go hiking in Cape Town. So you add your botanicals to al- to the alcohol and then you pull a vacuum inside of the, or we pull a vacuum inside of the still because we've got vacuum stills, which again, I think we're the only vacuum distillery in Africa and there's, there's very few vacuum distilleries in the world. 
so you pull a vacuum inside the still and then you infuse your alcohol with the botanicals. So we pull a vacuum and we release it and we pull it and we release it. So we infuse our alcohol with, with the botanicals. Where if you would do it conventionally, you really need to let it lie in the alcohol or whatever your base would be for six weeks, eight weeks. So we can really do it a little bit quicker because of our, our vacuum stills. And then we add water. So we've got an RO system on site as well. So we take water and we purify it. And then we add that to our still. And then we start with the second distillation where we actually distill the alcohol out again. So you really have to run your stills at a, at a cold temperature. So that just means, so alcohol in conventional distillation would boil at, in South Africa, Cape Town close to the ocean, would boil at 79 degrees. And if you pull a vacuum, so that's a reverse pressure, then you have an alcohol boil of about 15 or 16 degrees. So that just means that we can remove our alcohol. So really high proof alcohol, we take it out and then you left. So after you do your distillation, you take your alcohol out, all of the alcohol. People ask this quite a bit. And so we are under 0.05% alcohol. So there's really no alcohol. It's less than an orange juice or kombucha. So the alcohol we put to the side, and then the third distillation is actually where we distill the product. So this is a normal distillation of a spirit would be two distillations, maybe yeah, one for your base product, maybe two. Um, so you add an extra step actually with the way that we produce the product. So yeah, then we distill Mahala and then we really just bottle it, label it and do our lot number. So everything happens at the distillery. We don't add any artificial flavors we don't add sugar we don't add colorants we add nothing it really it's it's sugar free it's vegan friendly it's gluten free and then we label it and box it and everything happens at the distillery we are full people that work at the distillery so it's myself a production manager production assistant and Pilani who who knows every, she is honestly she's yeah she's fantastic so she's general so she'll help me out or she'll help Stefan she's just everywhere. Now, of course, you've skipped over the most important part, the part that makes it Mahala, which are the botanicals. Yes. So um, I know, having had it before, and it's on the label, that you have a series of botanicals, and some of them I've heard of, and some of them I haven't, but why don't you run through them? Absolutely. Um, so I... So I usually describe the way that you put the, so the way that you put the product together. And if you were to do a tasting for the first part of it, and probably the first thing. So when you open the bottle of Mahala, the first thing that you'll get is the spicier notes and that's clove, cardamom and peppercorn. So that's, I think we all, we're all quite familiar with those botanicals. That's the spicier note. So that's the first thing that you'll get. You'll get mm, like a nice spicier, warmer notes. And then the, the second part of it, if you smell it a little bit more, just, you know, you wait a little bit, you get the more earthier notes. So that's angelica, angelica root, actually. So that's a flower. Well, I don't, okay, you stop me. Honey, <laughs> honey bush and cinnamon. So angelica, yeah. So that's actually one that. That's the one that I that I use in gins because of the earthier notes. But the one that we should really focus on in that is is honeybush. And honeybush is it's indigenous in, to South Africa, and it's honestly it's a it's something that grows that grows wild here, and people harvest it and they dry it and they use it in tea. So it's got sweet notes, but it's also very much that earthier earthier like components that you get from a tea. So that's a fantastic botanical and and. We, we really have a like honeybush tea. It's like that sweeter, 
sweeter, earthier note. So that's it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful botanical. Can you buy that in a supermarket? Like, like we have the red bush tea here. That's about the only South African tea I think we get here. Rooibos. Yeah. yeah. So rooibos, yeah, rooibos tea. Um, you can buy honeybush. It's not as well known as, um, as rooibos, but I mean, you can definitely buy it in like the little bags. Uh-huh. The um, and then our third, our third uh, note is our citrus component. And this is also very, a very special one. So we have Buchu, Citronella pelagonium, and orange. And I think the ones that we need to highlight there is the Citronella pelagonium and the Buchu. Uh, we're all very familiar with the orange, but those are two very, very special botanicals. So the Buchu is also, also one that I harvest. It's very citrusy but also zesty and it's got like a bit of a, I want to say a kick it's so weird when you like explain it but black currant always comes to mind when I think about buchu people sometimes in South Africa they will just have water and chuck a lot of buchu in it and let it stand and then drink that to cleanse or whatever um so buchu um yeah that's a very special botanical and it's also like it's also a leaf that you harvest you get different varietals of buchu but yeah so the one that we we actually mix a lot of different varietals but you harvest it you just take the leaves off and you dry it and that's the way that we use it um and then the other one is citronella pelagonium and that's also a very special botanical it's it's got such a very definite definite like citrus nose it's almost like Oh, it's well, I mean, it's it's citronella as well. So it's like sometimes I get that, you know, when you light the candles, but it's more like a softer note of that. But that's also something that grows wild here in Cape Town. And that's the one that I said we go. So obviously you have different varietals of it's a pelagonium. Um, so you have different pelagoniums. You sometimes we get rose pelagonium, you get the citrus pelagonium. There's like a, I think there's a nut, a walnut or something pelagonium as well. And when Paul and I went to Kirstenbosch Botanical Garden in um, in Cape Town, they have a smell garden and uh, they have quite a bit of the different pelagoniums because it grows wild here. So you can go on a hike and you can really, it's something that I do quite a lot. And I think my partner sometimes gets annoyed with me because I would go back and I'm like, oh, I need to smell this one because they look quite similar, but they've got different flowers. So I'd always break off a piece and then smell it. And then I'm like, this is the citrus one or this is the rose one. So that's... That's the Citronella pelagonium. So that's a, that's the way that you kind of put it together. But I feel like I'm rambling a lot. That's, no, that, that's, no that's perfect. And you're not rambling at all. And Paul, we will get back to you in a sec. Um, one more question now. How, or probably a couple more questions, because then we'll get to the part where you come in, Paul. How long did it take you to figure out with the amount of each and, and how you wanted? Was it a hugely long process? Uh, yeah, it's trial and error. That's literally, it was trial and error. It, it's, it's interesting because you, I'm sorry I'm using spirits, but it's because that was my reference and that's how, how you start off and how, how you kind of know, because I knew my ratios with spirits, it's not the same at all. It's definitely not the same because you're taking the alcohol out, the end product, so mahala, the actual liquid, it's, com- it's completely different to what you would think that you would get. So some botanicals, you have to add much more than you would with a conventional spirit. And some of them much less. So it's just really how the how they retain their flavor. So yeah, the, some of the citrus components, it's much more difficult to actually get that flavor profile out. Um, so we add much more of the citrus botanicals than we do of the spicier nose, because that for some reason that just carries through with the non-alk better. So it was really a lot of trial and error, a lot of different botanicals. And because you have to do this whole distillation and you have to let it seep, it took about 
I want to say a year. So you you worked on this for a year, Danielle, and then you send that is what you sent to Paul. Yes. Um. So we did, but Paul and I we did. Um. I think we tweaked it a little bit. There was one of the botanicals that Paul said mm, maybe we should reduce a little bit, and we did, and it was it was a great suggestion. So yes, I think also because the the when you open it, it is quite spicy, and we did. I mean, it's, it's, so the first, I want to say the first, the initial botanical is probably clove that you get, but we wanted to make sure that it's identifiable. It's not just a mishmash of different botanicals. It's definitely something that when you open the bottle of Mahala, you're like, this is Mahala. I definitely know that, that it's not, it doesn't taste or smell like any other um, spirit. So yeah, but that's more, it's, I want to say it's 95% the, the liquid. So having made a lot of different of variants and a lot of different samples and some of them were really bad some of them were better they got better <laughs> and the more times i did it and um, but yeah it was mostly the finished product that i sent for yeah okay paul now it's your turn so you get this you had you had your uh, family and friends sip it everyone loved it did that then former marketing pr sales guy who had worked at a big you know company did that everything kick in and you knew exactly what you wanted to do with it once you said go? Uh, yes. I mean, it, I, I think it, 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 you, you make it sound a little simpler than it actually was. But yes, the principle was, I think the first thing I thought of was I found a great partner and we're very complementary to each other. So Danielle's expertise is distilling, is pr procuring labels, bottles, um, and really that's her passion and that's where she has all her strength. And that's not what I've ever done. So my job has always been general management, sales, marketing, meeting customers, customer facing. So I thought straight away, I also had had a love of South Africa since we lived there. Myself, my wife and my three kids and my dog, uh, my two dogs, actually. Sorry, I nearly forgot about the second dog. <laughs> we spent five glorious years living there. Um, we loved every minute of it. And, you know, someday we'll, we'll probably end up moving back there at some stage, myself and certainly my wife. So I will, I always, when I went back to London, I always want to have I always wanted to have an association with South Africa and a link. And this was a perfect way, a brand from South Africa that is truly South African, authentic, crafted, and, um, and a complimentary partner, Danielle. And I thought we had a great recipe for success because during my time in my previous corporations, we bought a lot of craft brands, a lot of, a lot of beautiful gins and wonderful rums. And the ones that were successful were always the ones that started with a fantastic product, but that also had a great story around them you know, a passionate founder or founders expertise from someone, complimentary expertise from another senior manager or co-founder. So I think uh, we had a definite success. And of course, I was looking at all the data and all the statistics coming through about the more mindful, no low category. And they were literally doubling year on year in the UK. I mean, last year in 2021, there were six point something million UK adults did a dry January versus 3 million adults the year before, 25% of millennials in the UK are now non-drinkers. And I've got a couple of my kids who are 22, 21, quite a few of their friends don't drink. And just, it just they, they don't have a passion. They just don't find, but they love to sample new non-alcoholic products. So they're trying beers and wines and spirits. So, um, so I felt that we had a great recipe. And one thing that Danielle made sure I didn't do was tinker too much with the liquid. Because uh, we, we wanted something distinctive. Too many of the non-alcoholics are bland, oily tasting, and they just add lots of juniper flavoring, hoping that it'll be similar to a gin. 
And we had a distinctive taste. We stand by cloves and spices. And, you know, at the festival, the trade show I did last week, we sampled 180 cocktails over three days. And we had three people who said they didn't like the taste. And that's because they didn't like cloves. You know, they really didn't like cloves. And if you really don't like cloves, Mahal is not the product for you. But I think that's a minority of people. And we, we didn't want to kind of please everyone by having a bland tasting liquid that was gin-ish and juniper-ish. Um, and in actual fact, we don't have juniper in Mahala because we didn't want it just be a gin-like product. We're a premium adult, a non-alcoholic spirit. So, uh, so yeah, so that's a little bit of background. So the bottling, the label, the name, supposedly that was uh, uh, your remit, as Paul says. So why don't you tell me about first the name and then everything else that went, that went after that? Okay, absolutely. So it was definitely a joint effort. I think if it was left up to me, it, it would not have ended up so beautifully. So the name, the name Mahala. So South Africa, we've got 11, um, 11 languages or 11 official languages and Zulu being one of the official languages. And Mahala means free in Zulu. And that's exactly what the product is. It's free from alcohol. It's free from sugar. It's free from artificial colorants. And it also just sounds cool. Uh, so also Mahala, it's a slang term that all South Africans, everyone who's, if all South Africans know the slang term Mahala, it means free. Um, so it's, it's just a term that if, even if you don't speak Zulu, which I don't speak, but all South Africans know Mahala. So it's just something that's, that's, it's just, it, it just kind of works. And when I thought about Mahala, it's like, that's exactly what it is. The, the word, it sounds nice. It's exactly what the product is. It's true to South Africa. So it's just, it, it kind of just fits. Paul, did you think the same thing when you heard it? Yeah, absolutely. There wasn't one single moment where I thought, ooh, the name isn't great. Uh, from day one, I loved it. Nice and easy. And no matter whether you're English, Irish, French, or we had a call this morning, actually, with a Lebanese uh, distributor. And, and they were all saying, oh, yeah, it really sounds Arabic. And, you know, for us, it's a beautiful name. And it's, you know, so I think no matter what your background, Mahala just has a nice ring to it. It's got a lovely kind of name and it's easy to pronounce. And, yeah. So once you agreed on the name, what did you do next? So I contacted designers in Cape Town and I had a couple of ideas about what I wanted the label to look like. So I definitely wanted botanicals on the label and that was going to be a focus point, something that, that's premium. And so we briefed them in and then they came up with a couple of options for us. And that's where I, like, I went for the one option. I was like, cool, I think this is the way to go. And Paul was very, he, he, he did it very subtly because I think now when I think back at the label, it was definitely not the right option. And also it was orange and I don't know, in my mind, I was like, this is, this is what, this is what it's going to be. And, um, and then Paul very subtly, he was like, well, well, let's just look at the other options and maybe orange should not be our color, maybe green, metallic or whatever. So that was definitely, that was the right choice. So then slowly we moved over to the other options and it was a lot of back and forth and changing it. And we changed the, the um, you know, working on the copy. It, it was quite a process. It took quite some time to get the label ready. And also just, I was thinking about obviously the, just the, the operations of how we're going to, how we're going to put the label on the bottle. And initially we also had a different shape bottle and that's back and forth and sending bottles to, to Paul and, I mean, the amount of meetings that we had around the, the shape of a bottle, I, I think people probably, they were like, is this meeting number seven? 
about the shape of the bottle, but it, it really is important and it really makes a big difference. So wh- why did you feel that you had to have the ingredients or the botanicals on the label? Because that's such a big part of the story. It's part of the, it's it's just hearing what the liquid's about. I, I don't ever think we didn't think of having the, the botanicals on the label. I think that it's really, that's what makes it special. So yeah, that's definitely yeah. um what, from the get-go, that was on the label, at least the first one that was orange was not that great. But um, we also looked at, you know, we had a tapered bottle and I thought, oh my goodness, if we have two labels and this is difficult to apply because we do everything by hand, you know, we also had to keep that in mind. And also the corks, it's something that you don't think about the cork. It can't be uh, an actual cork that you use in a non-alcoholic product because the cork is porous and you might get contamination. So there's a different type of cork that you need to use. So, so It was a lot of back and forth and putting the product together. Why did you think you ended up with the shape and uh, style? So that bottle, I think it's confident and it's male and female and it's got a lot of space to actually have a big, beautiful label on it. It feels it's a premium bottle. It's got a nice base. Yeah, I think that's why we we went for that bottle. By the way, I love the color, so I'm glad you didn't go with orange. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you. <laughs> sure, sure. Just one person's opinion, but I do think it's a gorgeous green and green and, and silver. It is, it's lovely. And also, sorry, just to add to that, South Africa, like the Springboks, I know, Paul, you brought this up. I don't think I even realized it, but Springboks color, Springboks is our rugby players. It's a national rugby team and they, that's green and gold as well. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's going to be adopted by them, right? As their, uh, their, their non-alcoholic spirit of choice. And, and of course, the Irish, the Irish colors are also green. So there was a little bit of me, the Irishman, also pushing for the green versus the orange. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. So then you had it bottled and you'd already won the award though, right? So you already had one award under your belt before you even had it in a pro- or proper, I'm using that with uh, air quotes, pop, proper bottle. Now you have the liquid. You know, what, where did you think it was going to land? I'm aware that's where Paul, like, I honestly, that's, that's, as Paul said, that's where we complement each other. I can have 20 meetings around the glass and around the label. And then when it gets to distribution and sales, I look at to Paul and I'm like, huh. this is where, this is where Paul is honestly the right partner for it. So I think that question should be, Paul should answer that. But for me, seeing it on shelf the other day in Hartenbos, is just it's fantastic it's honestly it's such it's so amazing um just to see it on shelf and you're like you're off work it just i feel emotional thinking about it it's just it's such a long journey and then you see it and you're like let's talk about the date was it during lockdown that you had it in the bottle yes we we first bought we did our first manhala right yeah it? i think we first did our bottling in september or october 2021 if i'm not mistaken I asked that question because I was just wondering if you were looking to have it in the hands of cocktail makers, like bartenders, or were you thinking specifically just to consumer and people like home bartenders, or were you thinking a little bit of both? So I think that's actually very, that yeah, that's a great question. So because it's, it's something that people obviously connect when they go out, they have a, they have a drink. So Initially, obviously, I think that your initial thing is, okay, cool, retail, that's where people buy it. But I think a, a big part of, of growing the non-alcoholic category is actually in bars and in restaurants. That's probably where people will have it first. Paul, why don't you, what did you think as well? Did you feel the same thing? 
Sure. I, I think during lockdown, we definitely saw people experimenting more at home with cocktails and the off-trade sales were huge during lockdown. You know, the big supermarkets sold huge amount of cocktails and alcoholic and non-alcoholic. So I think during lockdown, the thought was get people to experiment at home. And in actual fact, every time somebody orders a bottle of Mahala on our website, they get a little cocktail card with three perfect serves or three cocktail recipes just to try and educate people how to serve and how to make a cocktail at home. So one of the key things we thought is this is a new category. People don't know how to serve Mahala or non-alcoholic spirits. So we had to kind of push the education bit. And therefore, whenever you get a bottle or even at the launch event, we had all these little uh, A6 cards with three perfect serves, recommended cocktails, and because that was the primary route when we first launched it. Exactly, Suzanne, you've got one there. So at least you've got three. Yeah, I have one. Yeah, you've got three nice cocktails there that are simple to make at home, nothing too fancy, but just kind of, you know, simple cocktails with tonic water, with ginger beer or ginger ale and with um, sparkling water. I think the second phase coming out of lockdown was definitely to get it into bars and into restaurants. So we're quite fortunate so far. We've got three or four very, very nice upscale uh, restaurant bars in London, including the Petersham Nursery, where they've now got to have a bespoke Mahala cocktail on the recipe. Uh, one of them has made a Mahala ne- Negroni instead of Negroni, so Negroni with no alcohol. The other one has got a Mahala uh, Gimlet, which has beetroot juice and some citrusy fruits, really nice. And then the Olympic uh, Studios, besides where I live here, has got one with orange juice and some kind of mint and so on. So really nice. So so the great news now is that bartenders and these high-end accounts are now experimenting with Mahala as they would have with alcoholic beverages before. And they're making lovely cocktails. And we're going to start now filming some of these bartenders making these cocktails and then feed those into our social media to make it a little bit more interesting and to try and, I guess, recognize some of the creativity that the bartenders in, in the industry have had around what is a new, a new category and a new product. So um, to answer your question, off-trade first during lockdown and now certainly the on-trade is probably more important now because that's really where people will hopefully see and experiment the brand. But we want, we want people to be able to have a bottle at home as well and to have a simple little cocktail menu where they can make two or three different mahalas with their um, with a simple tonic or sparkling water or ginger beer or ginger ale. And Paul, at the beginning of the interview, you said that you left your big job at a big company to try something different and you had your dry January. Was this what you expected, this journey that you've taken from a discussion to a bottle, you know, over time? Is it what you thought it was going to be like? Yeah, it's funny. I I went to my my youngest kid's school last week. They asked um, some of the parents to do a careers guidance day and they had a a lawyer there. They had a, a doctor they had an accountant. They even had a guy to help kids to do their gap year, which I thought was a bit crazy. You know, you don't need advice on how to do a gap year. But anyway, and they asked me to do marketing, but they asked me to talk about corporate marketing and startups. So I did two presentations. One is the corporate world and you go up through the ranks and you become a marketing manager or a sales director, marketing director, and eventually a director of a company and so on. And the other one was kind of had loads of squiggles on it and like jigsaws and puzzles and whatever. And it's kind of the life of an entrepreneur where you set out with an initial view of what you're going to do, and then you change and you chop and you do this and you, so I had this big squiggly kind of a career kind of as a startup, as an entrepreneur. And, uh, I've loved both things and I would never have become an entrepreneur if I hadn't learned the corporate world and how to run a company, how to run a brand, 
we had worked with some fantastic agencies over the years, had some fantastic uh, team members, uh, particularly in South Africa, very, very creative, young sales and marketing people. They're really hungry to learn. So I think I learned a lot from the corporate world, um, but now clearly at this stage of my life, I was sick and tired of getting phone calls from HQ in Paris telling me what I was or wasn't doing. And it was time for me to kind of, you know, set my own path and be my own boss and uh, much more risk involved. And obviously, you know, will I be able to feed the children and the dogs next month? And uh, so far, I've just about managed to put food on the table, uh, but it's been an enjoyable journey. And I think um, the advice I gave all these 17 year olds was, Start off in a formalized environment, learn from a mentor, learn from a big business, and then find your passion when you get to your thirties or forties, or even in my case, 50 and, um, do what you do best with a passion and, but learn from your experience before you take a kind of a leap of faith into the world of uh -huh. entrepreneurism, because, um, there's a, there's, there's a lot of challenges there. And I think certainly myself and Danielle, we've learned, um, we've had lots of challenges and shut doors and this door shuts and this door opens and this door shuts and this door is open. But, you know, we know ultimately that we've got um, a wonderful product and we've demonstrated that through our awards, through our endorsements yeah. from top mission star chefs, from tar top bartenders, top bartenders and so on. So I think perseverance definitely is what I've learned in my short 14 months as an entrepreneur, but I wouldn't look back any, you know, certainly never look back. And you, Danielle, you came at it from distilling alcohol experience. Have you gotten the same satisfaction from Mahala as you have that whole process? Have you learned a lot of new things from this process of making something, I don't want to say completely different, but kind of different in the same shop? So initially, um, I was doing a lot of contract work for, um, for people. So it's their brand. So I do a development for someone and then eventually they get their own label and they decide on the bottle and the shape and whatever. And I just make the liquid for them. This is the first product that's hundred percent been my own. Well, I mean, 50%, but I mean, that's something that's made there. That's, that's shared. Okay. It's shared between me and Paul. I don't know if this is coming out right, but this is not that someone else came to me and said, Hey, do this. It's, it's something that was created out of really passion and interest. So yeah, it's obviously more rewarding when you created this product that there isn't a guideline for it there isn't any rules around it um so it's definitely it's yeah it's 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 honestly it's amazing it's great and it just seeing the product grow and seeing that like people really enjoy it it's it's fantastic it's really great yeah i'm really happy to to have come this far with this product and to have the right partner absolutely i don't think we would have we would have sold a bottle if it wasn't football <laughs> before you go do you have anything that we should know about Mahalo? Absolutely. Every every single bottle has a lot number on it. And um, it's for traceability. And the lot numbers we write by hand. And, you know, most of the time it's between the stops. So we have a little bit of a competition. So our roles, our labels are in roles of a thousand. So we have a competition to see who can do the thousand the quickest. And we write it down and whoever does it the quickest gets a prize. And then if we're really under pressure and we can't, we can't write the lot numbers. I've asked my mom to do it a couple of times. <laughs> so you might have a bottle that my mom wrote the lot number. Maybe I wrote the lot number. Maybe someone else did. I'll have to show you my bottle afterwards and you can tell me which signature it is or the handwriting you can tell. <laughs> yeah. Now, I always uh, end with asking 
Now, I know you're you're not bartenders, but you are spirit makers, I guess. And Mm -hmm. um, maybe you have some top tips for either the home bartender, either using your product or just any product, anything that comes to mind. My favorite way, and it's on the, it's honestly, it's on a, one of our perfect serves, but my favorite way to drink Mahala is it's the bee's knees. It's with sparkling water and then also with a little bit of honey um, and a slice of orange. I was talking to someone the other day and it's because obviously there's no sugar. So Mahala has no sugar. And if you add water, there's no sugar to it. But when you want to, when we're doing health and wellness, people are consuming sugar, but they want to regulate it themselves. So it's if you want to add honey to it, you can decide how much honey and how sweet you want it. So that's really the way that I love drinking it. And that slice of orange, just to like that little punch of like acidity that, that comes out. And so the way that I drink Mahala is sparkling water, a little bit of honey and a slice of orange. And I, for me, it's to keep things simple with a cocktail. You don't want, a, I don't want a lot, well, personally, I don't want a lot of different flavors. So I think just to, to use premium components and Keep it simple. Yeah. And whatever you enjoy, I think people, it, whatever you want to drink, however you want to drink it. Yeah. And Paul? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so my, I, complimentary to Danielle, I love the Mahala Mule. So like a traditional kind of vodka mule, it's with ginger beer, a little bit of a dash of lime and a slice of lime on the rocks. Again, the tip that I would have is make sure you select the right tonic. So many tonic, you know, whether it's tonic water or ginger beer, either kill the flavor or have too much sugar, uh, too much of something. So I tried a beautiful one last night, which was actually a tonic water and no calories, no sugar, cardamom and ginger tonic water. It was absolutely delicious with Mahala. I said to note, I was so excited last night. I sent her WhatsApp to uh, Danielle Singh, sick of me sending her WhatsApps at 10, 11 o'clock at night. So I'd come back to seeing a friend of mine, kind of a business meeting, and I just wanted a nice Mahala. And then I did this, it was, so it was a wonderful drink. So it was a cardamom flavored ginger, cardamom ginger tonic water. And I tried that with Mahala and it was fantastic. Otherwise, a Mahala mule for me is, is the nicest. Just that ginger. I love ginger. I love ginger beer. And I love the, the kind of the acidity of the lime coming through. But again, so my advice is just use quality ingredients and use the right tonic match. Don't go for a cheap and cheerful tonic. Lots of sugary kind of whatever preservatives in it. So be very selective about the tonics. I love yeah. that. Now, last but not least. My favorite question, if you could be anywhere right now drinking anything, where would that be? This time we'll start with Paul. For me, Cape Town. That was my one, Paul. Definitely Cape Town, although this is now the time, this is definitely the time of the year that Cape Town now gets a bit cooler and suddenly the UK is now slightly warmer than Cape Town. So probably... Nine months of the year, I would say Cape Town on a beautiful beach on the Western Cape. Otherwise, London this time of the year is very nice. Coming into May, June, lots of fantastic events. You know, I'd love to be on the side of the Thames having a nice little drink uh, at a friend's house or on on a a wall sitting by a pub in Barnes, which is where I live in Southwest London. Fantastic. And Danielle? Um, I mean, I'm one of those people. I absolutely love living in Cape Town. I love South Africa. So, I mean... Uh, even if it's the weather like now, so I'll I'll go swimming in the winter time as well. Um, this is a fantastic time to be hiking. So I'd have a drink in Cape Town, and if I'm not here, my partner's in Portugal at the moment, so I'd probably want to go to Portugal. Um, here in Kashkai, the weather's also turning, so it's really nice there. Yeah, I'd have a I'd have a glass of wine in Kashkai. That would be nice. 
Well, listen, it's been so great to meet you both. And um, I love Mahala. I think it's fantastic. I'm a clove lover. So you got me at the first CLOVE. And uh, I wish you luck. And I can't wait to see it on so many more menus. Thank you, Susan. It was fantastic chatting to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. And likewise, Susan, thanks for your support in Mahala. It was lovely to see you at the event. And uh, hopefully you'll see it on many more menus in London and beyond in the near future. I can't wait. Thanks. Thanks so much to Danielle and Paul for not only introducing us to Mahala, but also sponsoring the transcription for the hearing impaired. I know I'm thirsty after all that chat about cocktails, which brings us right to our cocktail of the week. Our cocktail of the week is Paul's favorite, the Mahala Mule. It's super easy and super delicious. Take 50 mils of Mahala Botanical and add it to a mule cup or rocks glass filled with ice. Then top it up with ginger beer and add 15 mils of fresh lime juice. Then stir gently and garnish with lime. Cheers. You'll find this recipe, more alcohol-free cocktail recipes and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com where you'll find most of the ingredients in our shop. Just back from Tenerife and staying put for a few weeks because I have acid reflux. Fun, fun, fun. So if you live for Lush Life, make sure you head out to the bars and restaurants you love and tell them how much you love them. The music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simbler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Next week, we fly from South Africa to New Zealand. Until that time, bottoms up.